Hi, I'm Henry McGowan, and you're listening to The Pulse, brought to you by The Varsity, the premier place for news pertaining to the goings-on at the University of Toronto. At U of T, it's really easy to feel like a number. It is a massive school sprawling across three campuses with tens of thousands of students. There is so much going on, from social justice movements to an enormous art scene and everything in between. Speaking from personal experience, I found it really easy to not be aware of so much of what is happening on campus. That's where this podcast was born from, a place for students to go to be informed and hopefully inspired by each episode's guests. So, without further ado, welcome to The Pulse. Hello and welcome to the second episode of The Pulse. I'm your host, Henry McGowan, and with me today are Ali Rougeau and Kendall Marr, organizers of the Fridays for Future movement in Toronto, climate change activists, social justice advocates, and U of T students. Both of you, welcome to the program. Hi Henry, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. Just jumping into it right away, let's Talk a little bit about your journeys. For both of you, um, being so heavily involved in Fridays for Future now, what sparked your interest in climate activism? Um, so I was in, like, interim between doing my undergrad and doing my master's degree, and I got um, really passionate about climate through a bunch of social media activists that I followed. And from there, I attended a bunch of climate strikes actually organized by Ali. And um, after the big climate strike that happened in 2019, um, in September, I kind of jumped in with two feet for organizing, and then the rest is history. So that was kind of my activist kind of start. I love it. And yeah. Allie, how about yourself? Uh, it's been a pretty long story, but I'm going to try to keep it as short as possible. <laughs> okay, sounds um, Yeah, I started doing environmental and human rights work when I was very young, and I still lived in France back then. And I think at some point when you do a lot of human rights work and you hear about climate change, you realize if we don't do anything about climate change, it's going to be more human rights issues later on down the line, and that just sounded disastrous. So I got to Canada, I got to U of T, and I was doing a lot of sustainability-related stuff on campus, and it always felt so small, so irrelevant, and just kind of preaching to people that were just a very, like, niche part. And Doug Ford got elected, people started striking in, in Europe, and I was like, we have to do this here, and no one was starting a strike movement. So I started it with um, two or three moms, actually, that had younger kids. They knew they couldn't lead lead a youth movement, so they needed kind of someone to be, like, uh, the face of it and the main leader, and that's just kind of how we got involved. That's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about Fridays for Future Toronto, in in terms of, uh, you know, what's happening in Toronto specifically. Uh, for the Toronto, the Toronto chapter of Fridays for Future, there are specific pillars. Would you mind just sort of elaborating on them and, and what their you know, individual importance is in, in regards to the larger Friday for Future movement? Yeah, absolutely. I think I'll go over a few, Kendall. You can add if you want. But um, because we have local autonomy in terms of our chapters, Fridays for Future did take um, quite a progressive uh, approach, and we really try to include the whole climate justice component. So... Right. Um, One of our big components is asking for Indigenous sovereignty over their land in Canada, and and that really means um, honouring the treaties that we are on, giving back unceded land, and it's it's a big part of of what we do. Um, And another one that I can think of from the top of my head is um, committing to zero emissions, uh, not by 2050, 
like what the IPCC says, but because Canada is such a rich country and we had such a big part in creating the climate crisis, it's by 2030, 2035, maybe at max that we should get to those net zero emissions. Yeah, we kind of updated our demands kind of recently. So um, like the climate justice perspective is intersectional. So that's when we're talking about different social justice issues in terms of climate and how they're all connected. Um, And another one that I'd like to bring up is a just transition. And that one is really related to um, union and labor movements um, for transitioning to a green economy and green jobs and supporting um, that transition. And it's kind of related to the current movement of a just recovery, um, that kind of mentality of like investing in people and moving towards a greener future. Um, And for myself, I've done a lot of outreach for the unions in the past. So we did um, a bunch of talks with different groups and trying to bring more labor movements or labor organizers into the climate movement because we see them as linked and the labor movements have a lot of um, power, I guess, in the organizing movements. Right. So uh, that, that sounds great. So just focusing on a couple of the things that the two of you mentioned, um, Kendall, you talked about a, a just transition. What does the sort of day in day out activity uh, of that look like and what and what ultimately sort of are the shorter term goals and then the realistic longer term goals of that endeavor? Um, I think as a youth organization, we don't really want to um, make policy ourselves, but there's right. a lot of infrastructure in place where the government knows what needs to be done to train new workers in industries that aren't extractive and um, and moving away from like oil and gas into kind of green energy and that kind of thing, um, as well as supporting those communities that depend on those extractive industries. We can't just ignore the fact that many communities in Canada are built on extraction, and a lot of the people that work in that industry see kind of this transition as a promise that might not be fulfilled and jobs lost mm-hmm. and losing income. So we have to really um, have a plan that's concrete and that can show the people that actually live there that there's a better future for them and something that's realistic in the short term. Right. And I think I think that what you touched on there about the idea that in these communities, people, they may appreciate the value of the the idea of transitioning away from uh, ex- extraction, but they also need need jobs. So, to them, what what are you as a, as a group? What are you saying? What are you sort of advocating for in terms of a, a plan? Like, what is what? How how are you trying to fix this problem of you know getting away from getting away from harmful extraction while also making sure that people still have jobs? Mm-hmm. I I think. And, you know, uh, usually in Canada, especially when you have a climate activist, you're, there's an automatic assumption that they're anti-oil and gas workers. For sure. Uh, or anti-oil and gas CEOs and board of investors, really. But we love oil and gas workers. We know that that's how we get most of the luxuries we have now. Yeah. And I fully understand when they they don't trust the liberal government to help them transition because we don't trust the liberal government either anymore after right. they've lied about climate stuff. So I think it's really why we try to do at the grassroots level Mm -hmm. unions with like actually like partnerships with workers and actually talking with them like what do you want us to ask for you and we and in exchange you know this is what we want you to ask for us. So really having that. Um, I think very concretely Kendall talked about retraining a little bit. Mm -hmm. There is going to be a lot of um, 
reparation and regeneration of everything we destroyed. We're gonna have to literally like have restore nature everywhere we destroyed it, and that is gonna be an opportunity for jobs. Right. We also need to do something called deep retrofitting, which uh, if you don't care about buildings, I'm not gonna explain, but essentially it means we're gonna get our buildings to actually um, use way less energy so that yeah. we don't have to also produce this much energy. Right. And that's a huge, huge like source of jobs. So there's tangible things, uh, but we do, the first step is getting a government that we can trust and getting people that are actually in there for the people. Yeah. So in that sense, I think they know we're in the same fight. Right, no, that, 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 that all makes sense. And then one of the other, uh, one of the other pillars you talked about was is the intersection of social, um, social, social issues and the environment. So for the, for the listeners at home who may not be as familiar with that, can you so explain a couple of those issues and how the intersection works? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, when we updated our demands kind of recently, um, it was during COVID, and we really wanted to reflect the racial tension within North America and around the world. Um, so we do have a demand called Uplifting Marginalized uh, and ampli- Amplifying Marginalized Voices. And I think what we want to encompass in that demand is understanding that environmental racism exists, and that is the idea that Um, marginalized groups of people tend to be closer to pollutants, um, tend to be in areas that are um, more exploited, um, and we have to understand that those connections exist with, uh, within the structures that we have right now. Um, so some of the, the, the solidarity protests that we do go to um, include like Black Lives Matter protests and solidarity with Wet'suwet'en, um, and today, myself and Ali went to a solidarity protest with uh, Land Back Lane. So um, we are definitely trying to bridge those uh, social justice issues and understanding that climate is um, encompasses all of them. Yeah, and I think um, it definitely comes from the fact that we're not just doing this to, like, quote-unquote, be good people or seem like good people. It's really that climate change is kind of the, like, the surface and the thing that we're able to measure Uh, But it's just a symptom of a really, really broken system, right? It's a system that forgets a lot of people or purposefully oppresses a lot of people. And so I think the logic is if we help these people be uplifted, and especially when we know that people of color and indigenous people are particularly connected to the land, they actually have knowledge that we need to restore the land, um, this is actually going to benefit us too, right? So it's really this idea of it's actually one common fight and it's a fight for a more uh, livable future for everybody. Um, and, you know, same goes with, with food insecurity, same goes um, with homelessness, houselessness. These are all things that we can relate back to, to climate uh, impacts. Right. I, I think, that's, I, I think that that's, that's great to hear that the, for the Fridays for Future, especially in Toronto, you're, there's a, an engaged thinking that goes beyond climate itself, but where, where climate meets other issues and how they can be mutually addressed. So I, I think that's fantastic to hear. One of the other things that was mentioned briefly and that's more new, um, especially in light of COVID, is the Just Recovery Program. So can I hear a little bit about the Just Recovery Program and, and, and what uh, what's going on with that? Um, yeah, so there's a Just Recovery for All campaign um, across Canada. So Fridays for Future Toronto signed on to that campaign. And there's a number of demands uh, that are really emphas- with the emphasis of supporting people over corporations and making sure that um, communities have that safety net in place for future disasters. So understanding that COVID-19 is 
a, a really important health crisis that we're going through right now, mm-hmm. but seeing it in a broader perspective of this is not the last crisis that we'll go through. And we need a recovery that ensures that people are supported properly and to avoid um, like the same kind of impacts to those people um, in future crises. Yeah, and I think speaking from that econ student that I am too, um, after something like COVID, we know there's there's this huge economic recession coming and we know that the government has to respond with a stimulus package. And what happened after the last financial crisis in 2008 was that the stimulus package invested massively in big polluters. Like we had bailouts that actually went to, to CEOs and people got bonus checks at the end of it. Right. We had uh, oil and gas companies. And so you can see if you look at carbon emissions that there was a rebound after the crisis that was higher than what we had before. Right. That is, we absolutely want to avoid that. That is absolutely disastrous. And as Kendall said, we know this is not the last crisis. So we also wanted to say, hey, this is a huge chance since the government has to spend a lot of money anyways. How about we spend it on things that need that boost? So communities, housing, transportation, and uh, low carbon uh, economy like sectors. And and diving into that a, a little bit more specifically, when you're protesting and sort of speaking directly or indirectly to the government, what are those specific things that you're asking for in, in the in the Just Recovery program? What are you advocating for? Mm. So one of them is always stopping to subsidize fossil fuels. It's a big one, and uh, yet it's really uh, one that we've been asking for for years at this point. I think that's definitely um, one that we want. We also talk about bailouts quite a bit. Um, if we can just get make sure that the workers have that safety net, Uh, through whatever program that is, just redistributing to make sure no one is left behind, then we don't think you have to bail out those massive industries because we kind of have to stop treating corporations like they have a soul of their own and that we have to save them. We have to save the people that depend on them. So those are like two of the examples. I'm sure you can think of more, Kendall. Uh, Yeah, so during the most recent strike that was on the 25th of September, um, we had a campaign called Not Going Back with the national groups um, of Fridays for Future. And one of the the key things was to treat the climate crisis like a crisis. I think um, we've seen what governments can do during a crisis um, in the time of COVID. And we haven't seen that type of mobilization in terms of climate yet to date. And the the speech from the throne was kind of... The climate was secondary to many other issues, but we see climate as part of these same issues, and we have to treat it like that crisis in order to ensure that we don't all kind of die, basically. <laughs> I think to put it like very tangibly, because I know it's really hard, like a lot of these words are thrown around. Um, at some point, Canada, maybe three years ago, decided to put a gender length to its budget. So federally, they were like, every spending we have, we have to make sure there's some gender equality behind We want that for climate. We want a climate lens to everything. Don't treat it as like there's the environment minister and then the finance minister. You're financing climate change if you're not addressing it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that's like a big thing is like seriously, act like it's a crisis. (laughs) No, for sure. So as as two people who obviously know a lot about climate change and the issues surrounding climate change in Canada specifically, why do you think that the federal government doesn't treat climate like the issue of climate change as a crisis? Um, I think that the current government likes to say a lot of good words to placate people. Um, and what 
we have seen in the past is they do declare climate emergency. They declare it as a crisis, but then they don't follow up with that type of action. Um, and I think they might just, like, the fossil fuel industry is really large in Canada. And I think that those um, those corporations have a lot of resources that they can throw at lobbying the government. And for people on the other side, we, we are volunteering our time. We're volunteering... <laughs> Um, we're youth, we're volunteering just to do, to be on the streets is our only option. We don't have all of the resources that those corporations do. So I think that it's kind of harder for us to get that message really seen by the government. Um, so it's not really equal, <laughs> I guess. It's not a very fair fight. Yeah, I honestly ask myself that a lot. I'm like, what prevents them from acting? I mean, uh, Justin Trudeau has kids, so surely he knows one day they're going to look at him and say, like, what the hell are you doing, you know? Right. I I honestly think there's a lack of courage because it is, it's honestly going to take a leap. It's going to be like, you know what? We're going to have to kind of take a gamble on this new thing. We don't know how it's going to go. The U.S. is not doing anything, right? And so right. I guess it's just kind of like we're going to have to be leaders, and it's hard to be leaders, and I don't think, well, clearly... Um, the governments we have right now. And I mean, we're talking about the federals, but like in Ontario, it's terrible too. It's mm -hmm. not like they're better students. So I think lack of courage and um, I think lack of creativity and imagination as well. It's like for them, they just can't think of anything else but maybe taxing carbon for a bit and then we'll see how that goes. Right. Um, this is why we need the youth involved because we still have that energy, that creativity and that like we have nothing to lose if, you know, just let's just try. And that's and that's the Fridays for Future uh, sales pitch right there to, 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 to anybody out there. Now, focusing a little bit on the micro level, we've talked macro, we've talked about the, the country as a whole, and talked about the federal government. Let's look at U of T a little bit. What do you think? The, the, how do you feel the university has handled climate? You know, climate change in the past. You know, speak candidly. And, and what do you think they could? Ali's going thumbs down. And what do you think that they they could and need to do going forward? Um, so I think that it's really important to understand that the divestment campaign at U of T has been a very long drawn out process mm -hmm. and there was so many barriers to getting that recognized as something that needed to happen. And like after consultations with many people and research and like months and months of work going into that whole process, the U of T just didn't recognize uh, divestment as a significant thing that they could do um, and sidelined it for um, like environmental investments in green things, which was not really um, like a, a significant movement from, from what they had before. And there was nothing to follow up to make sure that they were actually doing what they said they did. Right. Um, so there's still divestment, go, like divestment movements happening at U of T. And I think that that's the most important thing that U of T could do at this point, because as an institution that's kind of at the top in Canada, they would like pave the way for many other institutions to follow. And that impact can't be ignored. Yeah. And it's like divesting their funds from, from fossil fuels. It's divesting or empowering their unions to divest their pension plans. It's divesting, you know, from, from RBC if they're holding their funds there. Like, it's just generally divesting for the symbolic, but also for the fact that we're actually going to take money away from these industries. And then also, I mean, this is always something that, that bothers me. 
this is supposed to be a center of knowledge, right? And with, if, with knowledge, you realize what, what kind of should be focused on. And I do think schools um, are allowed to kind of speak out on issues when they're clearly like human rights issues. Climate change is a human rights issue. I do think U of T could take the stance of saying like, there is an issue when our government is not doing enough. Like, just like if our government is racist, U of T should be saying something. Mm -hmm. As an institution, I'm somewhere that is like has youth at its core and should have youth interest. There, I think they should have an advocacy role. And while this is speculative, is is the reason why the university doesn't take this stance the same reason why you think that the federal government takes a stance? Is it, is it a lack of courage? Um, I think to a certain point, there's a lack of courage. Um, I guess not a lot of other institutions have divested before. Um, so it's kind of still new ground, even though some institutions have. Um, yeah, I think they don't want to recognize it's an issue because then there's a lot of other things that come Mm -hmm. with it, right? A lot of, like we're talking about social justice issues that are related to climate. Well, then they'll have to kind of take action on those as well. So it's kind of this rolling ball of things that they'll have to do. Yeah, possibly. I I honestly don't know why they don't, because I feel like that could just calm a lot of, of us students. And I sometimes I'm right. like, just do it. Like, it shouldn't be that hard. Maybe there might honestly be something around, like, who... Because we also know we rely on alumni, we rely on, on funding from mm-hmm. others. There, I'm sure there has to be a question around that. And I don't manage a university, so I don't know all the complexities of it. I do think if they were a little more candid with us about it, we could, like, have a conversation about right. how we can make that happen, but they don't. Um, and I also think, in the end, like, it's true that right now fossil fuels are still performing relatively well in terms of, like, returns. I mean, they're not they're not a safe financial investment for within the next, like, five years, but right. they're doing decently compared to the work that it would be to look into anything else in terms of investment uh, I guess they're just not there and you know big banks aren't either and investment funds are not either so I guess once again it's right. about who's going to lead the way right and that's what you're you're asking <laughs> the university to do is to, is, is to lead the way yeah you think so <laughs> the the at the pulse we you know we started this because we felt as though there are so many students in the university who don't know about what's happening so to to students at U of T whether they're first year second year third year fourth year master's students, PhDs, who may not know about Fridays for Future, um, but in hearing this are, are interested in it, what would, you, what would you say to them in terms of climate change and, 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 and yeah, just your, your general sentiments? Join us. <laughs> no, we, we do have a, a U of T chapter that focuses more on U of T stuff. Um, join us and know that you don't have to be the activist that Kendo and I are. We, we like to grab a megaphone and scream for a while, but you don't have to be that person. If you have computer science programming skills, we need you. If you're a good writer, we definitely need you. If you do graphic design, we need you. Like, I, honestly, music students, we still need that. Like, we really need, mm-hmm. honestly, everybody involved, and, and we need a diversity of, of people and skills and abilities. And so reach out, Fridays for Future UFT instagram or or honestly through our core group reach out and see how we can collaborate it's not a huge time commitment and it's really like what you can give at what moment yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and for anyone who's interested in joining i found like it was a good opportunity to like quell some of that anxiety that you might have in thinking about a crisis that is like way over what you could imagine 
like contributing or like even fighting yourself um it's it's an opportunity to be involved in something bigger than yourself and something that's really immediate threat to your future that you're studying for so I think it's really important for everyone to know that um like our our group is always looking for more people and we're always open to like new perspectives and new new yeah, everything. And I think we have to say there's also a lot of joy in activism. Like, it's not why we originally started it, but Kendall and I have become friends through activism. And um, there's honestly moments where you just, you're having a great time. And a lot of us are also probably passionate about what we study. And there's so many ways you can apply what you study to your organizing. It just feels so tangible. You feel right. so much better about going to class, too. So I think there's a lot of actual, like, personal... Uh, I, I like the word joy because I think it's joy from activism, yeah. Well, well, thank you so much, both you, Kendall and Allie, for coming in. Uh, this has been a very enlightening conversation, and we look forward uh, to seeing what uh, Fridays for Future does in the future. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The show today was made possible by Chris, our sound editor, Annie, our assistant sound editor, and Dina, our co-producer. Thanks to the Varsity and our copy team. Subscribe to this podcast and tune in next time to hear more about all the happenings at U of T. I'm Henry McGowan. Have a good day. Yeah.